Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. What is your favorite food? What meal delights your taste buds? You know that feeling, that craving, that sense of desire that only one thing can satisfy. Hungry yet? Have you ever been that hungry for God? Have you had deep, strong hunger pangs aching for the presence and power of the Lord in your life? Have you tasted the living God and know that nothing else can satisfy? The Psalms say, give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and wonderful deeds. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good. We all have a favorite food that satisfies our hunger. God loves the hungry. Are you hungry for him? Many believers, just like you, hunger to know God, to serve him and others, to honor him in all they do. They hunger to answer his call. Be faithful, obedient, and rooted in the word. The Bible Seminary invites you to dine on the Word of God and drink deeply from the refreshing well of living water. Dive into God's Word and enjoy rich experiences that will help prepare you to live a life worthy of His calling. Hungry for God? Take a risk. Dine on His Word. Grow as a Christ follower and ministry leader. Now is the time. The Bible Seminary is the place. So one of the things I am most excited about as we look towards the coming school year next August is becoming an extension campus for the Bible Seminary. I especially like this seminary because their commitment is to take every person who goes through the whole program every, to go through every book of the Bible in the process. And I'm good friends uh, with the founder, and it's a wonderful thing. So, uh, like you were hearing just a few moments ago, if you have thought, you know, I'd like a little bit more. I'd like to go a little bit further. Uh, maybe you audit a class or two if you're interested in, you know, I think I might like to get a degree. Well, there you go. You'll have the opportunity starting uh, this fall. So there's more about that in your bulletin you can take a look at. Hey, welcome. I don't think I said that. Welcome in Center Court West. Welcome in Center Court East uh, on the Klein campus. Welcome in the Woodlands. Welcome online. However it is that you're here, we're really glad that you're here. So we'll continue on in the series that we've been doing on the subject of prayer going to Matthew chapter 6. So why don't you go to Matthew chapter 6 and if you need a Bible, um, you just raise your hands, and in all the rooms, our ushers will come, and they'll bring Bibles, and you're welcome to borrow one. You can keep it if you need as our gift to you. So perhaps uh, the most frequent reason or excuse for people's um, not praying is they tend to say things like, you know, I just don't know how to do it. I don't know really how do you start, I don't know how you end, and everything in between. I just don't know really how do you do it the right way. And when we're afraid that we might not do something the right way, 
it's instinctive for most of us to kind of draw back and say, well, I don't think I'm going to try very much because I just, I, that just feels kind of weird to me. Well, the good news to all of us who have ever felt that sort of, I don't know if I'm doing it right, how do you pray, is that we're not the first people to come along who ever had that thought. As a matter of fact, Jesus' disciples had watched Jesus day after day. He would go off to lonely places and pray, the Bible tells us. <clears throat> and finally, one day they say, you gotta teach us about this thing, prayer, Jesus. How do you do that? Several of us were disciples of John the Baptist before uh, you came along and he would teach us about prayer, but you've taken it to a whole different level. We see something that's, it's, you gotta teach us how are you doing this? And it was at this point that he gave them what today is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Or perhaps you come from a church background that has referred to it as the Our Father. Uh, same sort of thing. And so that's going to be our text today. Matthew chapter 6. Why don't we start in and I'll read it to you. Jesus speaking, verse 9 in chapter 6. This then is how... You should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the interesting thing about the Lord's Prayer is that it can be used just as is. Don't change one thing. Many of you even memorized it, as I did when you were a child. You can just pray it that way. But there's something else I'd like you to notice, and that is it makes for a fantastic outline for a fuller prayer life as well. As a matter of fact, what you're going to find as we look here uh, today is that the Lord's Prayer divides up evenly into six segments, six phrases and they are segmented into two sections. You have three and three. The first three portions of the Lord's Prayer have to do with God. Um, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Or your translation may say your, not thy, but it's about him, right? And then the focus moves to us. In the second portion, uh, lead us not into, uh, 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 give, us, give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us uh, from evil uh, and forgive us our debts. Okay, so the last three are about us. What I'd like you to see is that this makes for a fantastic outline if you were to have a prayer journal and you put each of these six sec segments or phrases, each individually on its own page, then that becomes an outline for you. If you spent two or three minutes on each of those pages, you're creating for yourself a very meaningful prayer life. You could write in other thoughts and words that pertain to each of these phrases. Now, what I want to do in the balance of our time is to actually work through these six phrases, which means 
we got to move pretty fast. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, our tendency, of course, in prayer is to go rushing right into God's presence and to start pushing the buttons on the vending machine of heaven, if you will, uh, to, to start getting what we need, you know? Here's what I need, Lord. Let me just get right to it because I know you're busy and I'm busy too. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. There's nothing you need more than to stop. Stop looking at your needs. Stop looking at your wants for once. And just plunge yourself into the depth of the doctrine of God. And think about who he is until your heart is dazzled. That's where you need to start. Not with your needs, but start with him. Because the more you focus on him, the bigger he gets and the smaller your problems begin. The more you just focus only on your problems, the bigger the problems become and the smaller God becomes. So he says, start by hallowing his name. You say, okay, but what the heck does that word mean, hallow? Who even uses the word hallow anymore? Well, I'll tell you what the word means. It means to make special or holy, or set apart. So hallow means to say, God, I want your name to be set apart, to be holy, to be, to be special, certainly in my life and all that I represent, but, but in other people's lives as well, people that don't even know you and don't know how to hallow your name yet. They don't revere you, not yet, but use me to help them come to know you, God. I want your name to be hallowed. Now, there's extremes on this. Back in uh, the, the days of Jesus and before, the Jewish people of old, they were so concerned about hallowing God's name that they went to one extreme. They were virtually terrified of defaming the name of God, that they didn't even want to utter it. They didn't even want to write it without a fresh pen or a fresh quill to, to try to write the letters that they would use to, to represent God. They were just so afraid they would defame God that they might be struck dead. They were hallowing God's name, that's for sure. Now, to this extreme, Jesus steps up and he speaks the word that we really focused on two weeks ago. And that is, okay, you guys have gone to one extreme over here. You're certainly revering him. But let me, um, let me make him a little bit more approachable. Why don't you call him Father? Remember that? We talked about that. I hope you'll go back and listen to that one if you weren't here. Okay, he wants you to call him. He wants you to talk to him. Um, this isn't the extreme, though, that most people today I know uh, live at. It's this other extreme. And this is a very casual, cavalier extreme that people today, if you just listen, there's so many people who just, just casually talk about, they, they use the name of God and there's no hallowing whatsoever. They say, oh my God, did you see that? Or GD. Or over in Great Britain, God save the queen, you know? And, and so um, Jesus, I think, would say to this extreme, okay, that's not what we were going for either. You, you've, you've definitely got, uh, gotten a, a little bit too casual about this thing. Yeah, and let's remember who we are talking to. Yes, he is father, but he is the creator of the universe, you're talking to the one true God. You're stepping into his presence. So let's pray first for his name to be hallowed, okay? 
I was talking with a preacher friend uh, recently who said, you know, I've started doing something interesting recently. He said, after I preach, um, what I do is I uh, really tune into social media to, to see what people are posting about, uh, you know, the service. I said, what, are you just trying to get feedback on if they like the talk or not? He said, no, 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 it's really not that. He said, what, what, what I'm uh, doing is I tend to go towards a person who's just giving big shouts out, surely for the talk or the service, but, but they're going on, you know, I just love God and Jesus is great and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'll just kind of isolate in on that person and do a deeper dive into their profile and say, okay, it seems like you want the name of God to be lifted high. You want his name to be hallowed and you, 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 you get it. Let's see if you really get it. He says, and so then I'll go back and I'll look at what were they posting yesterday? Or what were they posting the week before? If I'm really curious, what, what about tomorrow? What are they posting tomorrow? What are they posting next week? I said, well, what have you discovered? He said, it's very discouraging. He said, there's a lot of superficial Christians out there. There's a lot of people who, they are sold out for God and they love God and they love Jesus and they want his name to be lifted high and all for an hour, maybe two, after they come out of a really meaningful, powerful worship service or, or whatever. But, but then it's like their darker side reemerges and the foul, vitriolic filth that they're posting to the whole world. It's very discouraging, he said. There's a lot of people who want to make God's name great for an hour or two, but it's, it's almost like then they forget. It's almost like they're Jekyll and Hyde. Hyde. So let me ask you a question. Um, what are the words in the photos that you're posting? What do they say to the world about your desire to make God's name great. And I'm not just talking about maybe between, you know, 9 a.m. on Sunday to 3 p.m. on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to church. It's going to be great, Jesus. Oh, that was awesome. I'm so close to God. No, I'm not talking about that, those hours. I'm talking about what you're posting on Friday night, what you're posting on Monday morning. What, what, what are you saying about your own life and your desire to make his name great all the time. Because see, what you have to realize is that real disciples of Jesus Christ have moved, they move beyond superficial, episodic moments of high spiritual uh, fanaticism. They move to a steady 24-7 love for God with their life. And so Jesus is saying right here as we start the, the praying process, he's saying some, some, some of us, we need to have our senses knocked back into us. Right here is a good place to start. Remembering, God, I'm talking to you, the, the creator of the universe, the one true God. And so through my life, this day, this hour, in this meeting 
that I attend, in this conversation I have to have, in this drive that I've got to take. I want all of my life, the things I say, the things I post, the things I that represent, the, the person that I am, I want it to, to speak volumes about my love for you and my desire to make your name great so that nobody who ever studies my life will ever think, boy, that guy, that guest, she doesn't get it because I'm minimizing um, you, God. That's where he starts. It's a good place to start. Then he moves to the second part. Thy kingdom come. What's a kingdom? A kingdom is a place and a people who reside under the authority of a king. And the whole kingdom takes on the character of a king. Um, Disney portrays this perhaps better than anybody. Always has in their animated films, right? And so when you have a wicked king or a wicked queen uh, who comes along, what happens in the animation? All of the coloration turns dark. It turns gray. It turns black. It turns brown. There's no spring colors. There's no pastels. Why? Because we're under the dominion of a wicked king. But then typically by the end of the movie, there's, there's a good king or queen or prince that comes along and, and, and there's going to be life that comes and there's spring colors and, and pastels and, and everything's changed. Why? Because the kingdom has changed. The kingdom has taken on a new character because we have a new king. Well, I don't have to tell you because you live in this world as I do and you watch the same news that I watch. Friends, we live in a dark kingdom. And I'm not talking about the United States of America. I'm talking about the whole world. We live in a fallen world. John 12, 20, uh, 31 tells us plainly, the ruler of our world is Satan. And so we live in a kingdom full of evil and wickedness and war and strife. But you already know that. What you might not realize, though, is, see, every time you see a story on the news or read a story on the news um, that has to do with, uh, you know, suicide, suicide terrorism or um, sex trafficking or you see the beheadings or uh, rapes or uh, financial evils or soaring debt and your heart sinks and, and your soul it says this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You're right. It's not the way it was supposed to be. Where you may not be right is you say, and the solution is this guy or lady needs to become the president. Or this, you know, we need better education system or we need better police. Or you may be settling for that. That's not the solution, friends. And that's the insight that I want you to have from the Lord's prayer here. When your soul sinks when you see this kind of news, don't you, re- you need to realize what your soul is longing for is for Christ, the King, to return and to bring about the fullness of his kingdom. That's what your soul's longing for. You say, that, now that you mention it, that is what I'm longing for. So why doesn't he just come on and do it? Well, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us clearly, well, it's... It's not that he's being slow uh, in keeping his promise, as some think, but rather he's being patient. Why is he being patient? Ah, Because he doesn't want anybody to perish eternally. 
but for everybody to have time to come to repentance and to be saved. And so every day that he, he tarries on coming back and establishing his kingdom, there's more time for you, for me, to go out and to, to, to tell people about Jesus because that day will come when he returns. C.S. Lewis uh, says so memorably that when that day of decision will be beyond us then. And there won't be any more deciding at that point. Our fates will be sealed throughout eternity. So we wait for his kingdom to be established. But we don't wait passively. We don't wait fatalistically. Oh, the world's just going to hell. We, we, sure it is. And the rule of the world is Satan. But we who follow Christ, we wait confidently. We wait expectantly. We wait actively. Because even as the, uh, the evils are swirling around us, see what you have to realize is that, that in the midst of all of that, God is creating what St. Augustine called a new city. He's laying the foundation for his kingdom. And you know who his construction crew is for the laying of this foundation for his kingdom that will come? It's you, it's me, it's us Christians. Now, we can't bring about his kingdom. It's not like if we just go out and just work really hard, then we'll usher in the kingdom. We'll bring it about ourselves. No, we can't do that. Ultimately, he will bring it to fulfillment. But we are the construction crew right here and right now. And he calls us to be in the business of laying the foundation for his kingdom, pushing back the darkness and bringing the flicker of, of hope and light of Jesus Christ into this fallen world which means we're co-laborers with him in this in-between time where we wait. means that we're in the business of helping to lay the foundation one brick at a time, one life at a time. And especially after a week like we've just had with all of the flooding and hundreds, thousands of families who've suffered so much and lost so much. And <clears throat> this is a great opportunity for us to talk about this kingdom thing. Um, because don't you realize God has established the church, the Christian church here on earth in this time while we wait for him to come back. He's established the, the, the church while we wait for his kingdom to come in fullness to, to serve up what nobody else is cooking. We, the Christians, the, the, we get to serve up real life transformational community, hope, joy. We get to go out and to serve this up to people who have no hope, who only see dark and gray and browns and, and, and blacks in the animation. They don't see any pastels. They don't see any light. And we get to go and we get to be these agents of hope and life and say, there is a kingdom that's coming and you can go ahead and step into it now through Jesus Christ. Oh, we can't bring it about, but why don't you come roll up your sleeves with us and you can help us to lay the foundation for the coming of that kingdom because it's gonna be a glorious thing. And trust me, you wanna be inside that kingdom when it finally comes in fullness. So if there's one thing that I'm thankful for in the aftermath of all of the suffering that we've had to watch and the emails that I've had so many of and family, some of the families right here have lost so much and in some instances didn't have flood insurance and on and on and on. It's the one thing that I'm grateful for is that I have every certainty that we will see happen 
in these coming weeks, what we've seen happen in other times, like when we had Hurricane Ike and other things like that, and that is that we, the Christians, the followers of Jesus Christ, will be um, catalyzed into going out and to being the agents of hope and light and restoration and change and victory in Jesus like never before. And I hope that you'll be one of those. And even as they were saying before we uh, started in on the message, that you'll get signed up online and say, hey, sign me up, put me on a team, I'll go. Uh, because, uh, hey, I can give a weekend. I can, I can help. I want to be agent of, of life and hope and restoration for people who are, who are hurting right now. I'm on the construction crew. I want to be about laying the foundation for this kingdom. He says, thy kingdom come. Then he goes on and he says, thy will be done. Now, what's this about, thy will be done? In a word, it's about surrender. Surrender. It's interesting, isn't it? Before he gets to the us part of the prayer, the, thing that ha- the things that we like to get to, you know, enough about you, God, let's get to me. Before he, he gets to this part of the prayer, he's leading us through this phrase of surrender. Thy will be be done. It's as if he's teaching us to say, no, 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 before you even get to the asking part, I, let's get one thing straight, that you're going to surrender to my will, that you're going to trust I am good, that I'm loving, and that, that you might not be seeing, even though you feel like you, you've looked at it from every angle and you know what's best, even though, you, you might not have my vantage point and my perspective. I need you to establish I want you to establish that I'm surrendered no matter what you decide, God. Thy will be done. Why does he ask us to do this? Because we're all children. Now, some of you, you're 60, 70, 80, 90. You know, I'm not a child. No, but compared to God, we all are. We don't have that perspective. We're children. I was reminded of this uh, in, in a vivid sort of way. Several weeks ago, I was coming away from a day full of baseball tournament uh, games. And we stopped off at the gas station uh, to get some gas. And the boys ran in to get s- some snacks to the store. And one of them put his hand on a Coke Zero. And, and he said, I, I would like to get this. And I said, no, let's not get that. And he said, it doesn't have sugar. And I said, yeah, but it does have caffeine. And it's about 6 p.m. And I just don't think that's a good choice. Why don't we get something else? Well, he was extra persistent and started, you know, regaling me with all the virtues of Coke Zero and all his friends that have Coke Zeros and and what a mean dad I, you know, and, and, and finally, you know, I kind of felt the still small voice of the Holy Spirit said, hey, some lessons are worth letting him learn. So I changed and I said, okay, he said, okay, I can have it. Yep, I changed my mind. You can have it. <laughs> okay, so we went up and paid and he started drinking his Coke Zero. Now, this is my son, by the way, who will put himself to bed at 8 p.m. I mean, he just conks out and says, I think I'm gonna go to bed, I'm ready. Come tuck me in and walks there, you know, willingly. And uh, 8 p.m. came, wide awake, 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30, wide awake. Well, by 9.30, he said, I guess I should probably go to bed. I said, yeah, I guess you probably should. And so I went and tucked him in, and 10 p.m., he comes walking out. I said, what's wrong? He said, I can't sleep. I said, oh. So, well, let me come tuck you in again. So I went and tucked him in again. 10.30, he comes walking out. 
What's wrong? I'm frustrated. Why are you frustrated? I can't sleep. He said, I know, that's a frustrating feeling, isn't it, son? I said, you know what, why don't you go to the, uh, take a shower, take a bath, and just kind of start the whole process over again. You want to do that? Yeah, I think I'll do that. Okay, so he takes a bath again, and tucked him in again. I think he finally got to sleep about 11 or 12. And <clears throat> the next morning, uh, I saw him, and I said, wow, that was kind of an interesting night, wasn't it? Yes, very frustrating. You know how frustrating it is when you're lying there and you want to go to sleep, you kick it, oh, yes, I know that feeling, son. And I never mentioned the Coke till now. And I said, you remember that Coke Zero that you drank? And all of a sudden, it's like all the dots connected in his brain. And I said, now, what did you learn through that experience? He said, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I said, that's okay, because I do. I'll do the talking, you do the listening. <laughs> So I said, now, here's the thing. I told you yesterday what was going to happen. And you insisted and you persisted. And exactly what I described would happen did happen. Now, what I want you to learn and what I really want from you, son, is that you might trust me, that you would trust that I am older. I know you feel old. I know you feel like you know everything, but I need you to trust. I want you to trust that I'm older and that I can see some things you can't see because I've been around. And I want you to trust that I'm good and that I love you. And that when I say no, it's not because I want to make your life miserable. It's that I want to make your life unmiserable. I just would like for you to say, even when you can't understand it, Okay, I trust you, Dad. Now, that illustration makes total sense to every one of you. You're like, yeah, that, that's parenting right there. Why then is it so hard for us to turn around towards God and to not realize we too are children? All of us, regardless of how old you are, we're children. See, we tend to think, I know it all. God, let me tell you how this should be answered. When he's like, no, you still don't, you can't see everything that I can see. And so that's why Jesus is telling us here at the onset, before we get to the asking half of the prayer, I want you to surrender. To just say, but God, whatever it is, I know that you're good. I know that you're loving, you're a good father. And if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, then how much more will our heavenly father in heaven know how to give good gifts to us? So I surrender, God, thy will be done. Whatever you decide, I, I'm gonna go with you. I trust you. Now, he moves to the asking part. The first half, it's all about him. Now he's going to get to the asking, to the us part. He'll start with, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what does daily bread represent? It represents everything. Theologians agree. We're not just talking about only the food portion of life. No, no, no. This encompasses all of the things that we need in life. This, this encompasses the food, the good health that we need, the shelter, the clothing, a means of income, peace, safety, friends, family, all of it is represented in this give us this day, our daily bread. Um, what I want you to realize 
is two things about this phrase. So if you're, if you're taking notes, you might want to circle of in, in your Bible. First, this day. This day. And then circle your pronouns. Us and our. Okay, now notice, first of all, he didn't guide us to pray, give me next week, next month, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, God, would you just make me so rich that I never have a worry in the world again? Just 10, maybe 10 years, my 10-year goal. He's not saying give me 10 years. He's saying give me this day. Why do you think he keeps it in the present? I'll tell you why. Because he wants a relationship with you and with me. If he were to say, sure, I'll just answer 10 years worth, boom. How relational, how connected would you stay to him? I don't think very. And what he wants is our heart. And so don't you see, he's kind of rigged this thing so that we're constantly in need of going back to him and saying, it's a new day, God, give me this day. The grace I need, the strength I need, the clothes I need, the income I need, the food I need. Won't you, God, give it to me this day? And when I get to tomorrow, I'm coming back, God. And I'm gonna press into you again tomorrow. And the next day, I'm coming back. And every day, it's gonna be current. It's gonna be this day. See, the problem with us is we get way in front of this day, and that's what is called worry. When we start thinking, of, yeah, but then tomorrow and then next week and then next month and next year, oh my gosh, it's gonna be terrible. And he's like, whoa, why did you get, I just told you, stay in the present. I'll answer for the present. And when you get to next week and next month and next year, I'll be there. Why? Because I'm a good father. So why don't we keep it in the here and now, okay? And then notice your pronouns. Give us an hour it's not a person, this isn't a personal, I mean, it can be prayed as a personal prayer, but none of the pronouns are singular. This isn't a me, 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 it's all about me, 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 and my own relationship, but no, no, no. It's, it's a, there's a plurality here. In other words, it's a communal prayer. It's a prayer that you're praying, I'm praying, we're all praying it together, and you realize what that means. It means that, you know, you might be praying, give me, God, this day, my daily bread, and for you, it might be, recovery from the flood because you've been a victim of the flood and you've lost stuff. Oh God, how are we gonna get out of this? And it means that you over here, you're praying, God, give us this day our daily bread. We're in this together. You're hearing this and the Lord sparks a little uh, message inside of you and says, you can help me to answer this prayer over here. You will be part of the answer because you're going to go and you're going to help them to have their daily bread today. And so I think it's a powerful thing that, that he chose the pronouns that he chose, that this is an us thing. It's not just me, my little world, and I don't care about what happens to you. No, no, no. We're all in this together, journeying with Christ and praying this uh, communally. And then... Um, I, I want to jump over for the fifth one. I want to jump over uh, to, to, to verse 13. We'll go a little out of sequence here on the last two. Let's look at lead us not a tempt into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
One commentator I read said, no one really needs to lead us into temptation because we're all pretty good at finding it all on our own, right? So, so why would you pray, God, don't lead me into temptation? Doesn't his word say in another place? God will never tempt us. Yes, it does say that. So why is he saying this here? Well, it helps to understand that the word translated from the Greek into temptation can also be translated trial. So it can be both trial and temptation. So perhaps a better way for us to think of this phrase is, Lord, when I face trials or temptations that come along in life, and they will come along in life, they do come in life, that's just part of living in this fallen world where we live, right? When they come along, Lord, help me to prevail. Help me to have victory when I face these trials, when I face these temptations, Lord. Trials can be any number of things, right? Illnesses, financial losses, flooding, uh, all sorts of hardships. Again, I can't number the emails, the texts that I've gotten from people here in the past week just saying, please pray for this family, pray for that family. They're going through a trial. This is gonna be a very hard season um, for them, which has made me grateful once more that Faith Rich has always been a church that's been built on the foundation, the building block of the small group, of, of community, of life-changing community. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do uh, with what we're talking about? Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. I'll tell you what, there's no better way to hit temptation and trials in life than when you're locked arm in arm and shoulder in shoulder with other brothers and sisters in Christ so that when you hit them, they're there and saying, hey, I am here with you. We're gonna get through this together. There's nothing like having a life-changing community around you and there's nothing worse than hitting trials and temptations on your own because the devil loves nothing more than get people singled out because if he can get you singled out, he'll get you picked off. And so one of my great hopes is that you are in community or if you're not, that you'll get in even today you, on your little connect card. Tell us, I would like to have more information. Give me a shout about th th some groups. I think I would like to try out a few and find my people, people that I could know by name and they'd know me and we'd pray for each other. I, I need that. I want to experience Christian community. All right, so... He's talking uh, about our present needs, our future trials, and then he's gonna look at our past sins. Let's go back and get verse 12. This will be the last part. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, Luke's version of the prayer um, uses the word sins or trespasses, okay? which might be the way that you memorized it if you memorized the Lord's Prayer when you were growing up. Matthew, on the other hand, that's the version we're looking at today, um, he uses the term debts. The differences are inconsequential for our purposes today. The bigger question is, why does he tie our forgiveness of others to his forgiveness of us? 
why does he tie those so inextricably? And almost as if to anticipate that we might say, you know, ho-hum, I think I'll just skip over that part of the Lord's Prayer, but as we forgive our debtors, because I really got a grudge against this person. Otherwise, God, I'm really good. We're really good. But it's, it's like he adds a PS, a postscript, just to sort of make sure we don't do that in verses 14 and 15. It's the only part that he elaborates on. It's like, oh, and by the way, in case you didn't get that part in verse 12, verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, Forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, why does he say that? Because we have to earn our forgiveness. And if we don't forgive other people, then he's like, well, then I'm not going to forgive you because you didn't earn it. No, nope, that's not it. All forgiveness that he gives to us is a gift of grace. He gives it to us out of sheer grace, not because we ever earned his grace, his forgiveness. No, that's not the reason. The reason he really drives this home is because what he's trying to tell us is the telltale sign, the clearest indicator that a person has really been touched by my forgiveness, by my grace, the real sign that a person has realized, oh my gosh, I was headed towards a Christless eternity. I was mired in sin. I was a sheep who had gone astray. I was lost. But then God in his mercy and in his grace sent Jesus to die on the cross so that I wouldn't have to die in my sins and pay the price and the punishment for my sins. This changes everything. The clearest sign, the clearest indicator that that amazing grace has come into our lives is that then we, in turn, can turn to a brother or a sister who's harmed us and say, okay, in the same way that God has shown me grace, I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to forgive you. How could I do anything less? Nothing that you could have done to me Um, is unforgivable. Everything. I'm not saying that justice doesn't need to be meted out and consequences aren't, you know, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in your soul, in your spirit, what Jesus is saying, I need you to release that. There's no indicator better, clearer, that you have received grace than that you're willing to give it to those who've hurt you as well. So my question is, as we close, have you experienced his grace? You say, oh, I've experienced his grace, but I, I'm not forgiven. If you only knew. No, uh, wait, wait, wait. I question, have you really, have you really forgiven? Not theoretically, but heartfeltly. Have you really experienced his grace? Because once you have, you'll say, you know what? I'm going to release that person. Because if God could forgive me for what I have done and pay the price that he paid, then the least I can do is to just let that person off the hook and just to say, I'm going to trust authorities. I'm going to trust God to, to do the vindicating and to settle, you know, I, but I, in my soul, I'm letting it go. I'm free.
I don't have to drag it around like ball and chain anymore. Have you come to know that type of grace in your life? We thought it would be most fitting to end the service today, coming to the Lord's table, because here at the Lord's table, he gave us a tangible sign, a symbol to just remember everything that we've just been talking about. He says, it, it, th- th- every time you come, for thousands of years after that night that he was betrayed, you'll take the bread, you'll, you'll see it broken, and that will remind you of my body, which was broken for you. And I want you to take it and eat it. And as you do, you're going to remember what I've done for you. And as you remember that, you'll remember some things that some other people have done to you. And you'll say, but I'm going to let it go. And then he took the cup and he gave that new meaning. He says, now, from now on, this cup represents my blood. That's going to be poured out for you tomorrow on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And so even as you take this, you're remembering again what I've done for you. So we're going to come momentarily in all the different rooms uh, today and we're going to give uh, our few minutes of the the closing portion of the service to just communing with them because we thought there's probably any number of us who need to have a little time just to do our own business with him. So several questions come up when we have communion. The first is um, can I come? I mean this is like my first time to ever come to this church. I'm not a member. I don't even hardly know. You know, Sure. If the only requisite that we see in, is that if you love Jesus or you're ready to start, you want to learn more, you come on. You say, how will it happen practically? Well, the ushers are going to guide you in all of the rooms momentarily to one of the stations, and there you'll find the gluten-free crackers, and you'll just take one of those and you'll dip it into the grape juice, and then you'll partake. And after that, you can kneel on the steps in any of the rooms where you are, and you can uh, have some prayer time alone if you want someone to pray with you. You just hold your hands out in a gesture sort of like a cup, and one of our prayer partners, they tend to have red shirts on, they'll come up and say, how can I pray for you? And they'll be glad to pray for you. On your way back to your seat, uh, we want you to take one of these little uh, booklets as our gift. One of our prayer pastors, Terry Takel, wrote this book about uh, praying the Lord's Prayer at noon. And uh, he explains more about that. But he, it's a nice little devotional book. It, it'll take you 14 days and just breaks up the Lord's Prayer into even smaller segments than we looked at uh, today. It's our gift to you. You take that and maybe if your devotional life particularly needs a little jump start, um, that could be helpful for you. And then one other thing I'm thinking about, and that is some of you have asked, are you going to make uh, an announcement uh, uh, to, uh, about one of the uh, key preachers on our preaching team? I'd like a little clarity about that, and I, am, I will indeed do that. But why don't we have this moment, and then after we've all come to the Lord's table, uh, I'll do that at the very end. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for um, the way that you offered to teach us to pray. You didn't leave the disciples. You don't leave us floundering. Say, I don't know how to do this. You said, I'll make it just real, real simple for you, real clear. Here's six things. Makes a great outline, makes a great pattern that we can build a whole devotional book out of. Makes for a complete prayer in and of itself if we just take it that way. 
Help us, though, most of all, to, to actually think about it, not just to sort of recite it because we memorized it and learned it and said it a thousand times and doesn't mean anything, but help us to really focus on, on what it was that you were teaching so that we might commune with you more deeply. In these moments, Lord, I, I pray now that you will meet with each of us as we come and take uh, the bread and the cup, that you would speak to each of us in our own souls Remembering what you've done to forgive us and choosing to act upon the grace that then you've given that we might show grace and forgive those who've sinned against us as well. Won't you meet with us in these moments? Uh, Lord, speak to us. Take us more deeply into your heart. Help us to trust that you are good and you're a loving father. We thank you, Lord, for this time, and we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So several months ago, uh, Pastor Dan, or rather <laughs> Ben Stewart, um, <laughs> this doesn't involve Pastor Dan, um, Ben Stewart pulled me aside and uh, said, I, I, I wanna talk to you about something. I said, all right. He said, Louis Giglio, is inviting us to move to Atlanta, Georgia, to join him in the world of passion, to come on the staff of the Passion City Church uh, for a year or two, and then from there to launch out and to plant a Passion City Church in a yet-to-be-determined major city. Well, in that moment, uh, I could feel my heart sinking and soaring at the same time. It was sinking because I don't like change. And I knew this was change, but it was soaring because I love Ben. And I want good for him, and I'm so proud of how God has been using him all of these years. And so in case you don't know who Louis Giglio is, he's a nationally known uh, catalyst for rallying uh, youth and young adults, college students by the tens of thousands to a more vibrant, passionate walk with Jesus Christ. And for years has, has run the Passion Conferences and several years ago started the, uh, the Passion City Church. Well, I just knew even as he was saying it, this is a God thing. We talked about how this would enable Ben to have a larger platform than he's ever had to make an impact for the gospel and to use his inimitable uh, preaching gifts to bring God's word to even more people than he ever has uh, yet. Well, he went through the process, he and Donna, for the next several months seeking counsel and praying and asking what God's will was, and they finally determined that that is God's will. And so last Tuesday night, he made the announcement to uh, break away there at College Station and Reed Arena to all the students there that he's going to finish up the school year, which is just a couple more weeks, with Breakaway, and then his run as the director of Breakaway after 11 years will come to an end. They'll begin their move then to Atlanta. So that raises a couple of questions that have uh, come in. Uh, many of you love uh, Breakaway Ministry. You're like, so what's gonna happen uh, with Breakaway when you've heard this? Who's gonna be the director of, of Breakaway? Well, 
I'm really excited about this because I'm on the board. I actually know who it is and it's a God thing, but I'm sworn to secrecy. I can't tell you. Because <laughs> they're going to make that announcement in the next 48 hours or so. But it's a, such a good thing and I, and I just feel so good about it. So stay tuned for that. That begs an, then another question. Well, then right here in the Faith Bridge culture, what is that going to mean for Faith Bridge? I mean, Ben's been in our preaching team, our rotation for 17 years now, going back to when he was our youth pastor here. And we've all got to watch him grow and soar. And what's that going to mean for us? Well, it is going to mean something. Let's talk about long-term and short-term. Okay. Long-term, obviously things are going to have to change because the ministry that he's been doing these 11 years is a Tuesday night ministry. It enables him to have freedom on Sunday mornings, which he shared uh, so many times with us. So that won't be possible as he moves to a Sunday morning uh, type of ministry. But the good news is that in the short run, uh, here in 2016, he's going to be able to, to fulfill all the dates that we had scheduled out a year ago, which I think is about six more uh, in the summer and the early fall and the late fall. So you'll join me in looking forward to every uh, single one of those, uh, I am certain. And we'll celebrate what God is getting ready to do through Ben and Donna, which is going to be even greater. I have every certainty uh, than what he's already done. Um, so what does that mean for right this moment? Well, I'll tell you what it means for right this moment. I think we need to pray for them. We were on the phone, he and I, on Friday afternoon, and I could just tell he felt overwhelmed. He, he said, I just, we got a bajillion things that we got to do when you're going to move and the house and where we're going to go and three little kids and cross state and ministry transition, so much stuff. And so I thought, especially in light of what we've been talking about today, prayer, why don't we conclude by praying for the stewards. Let's do that right now. Lord, we thank you so much for Ben and for Donna, for the way that they've shared their gifts so generously with us all of these years, preaching gifts and music gifts, and we've got to enjoy their coming into the world of, well, some of us coming into the world of marriage and many of us coming into the world of parenting and and just watching him grow in the way that your hand of blessing is upon him. And it's just exciting to imagine the things that you're going to do as he moves to this new platform, an expanded platform. And we know to whom much is given, much is expected. And we know that he'll be faithful to everything that you have in store for him. And we'll be celebrating. So we pray, God, your blessings on them, particularly now, because it's stressful for them. And moving always is for any of us, but especially in this season, and a lot's going to happen very quickly. And won't you just give them extra strength and extra grace and sustain them and carry them along as they, as they move over, that they'll find themselves saying, wow, I have energy like I didn't even expect I might have. And we'll know that it's you, God, giving it to them. And while we're praying, Lord, we want to pray once more for all of the victims right around here of the flooding that's happened in the last week throughout greater Houston and the Woodlands area. And Lord, we're just praying as we talked about just a little while ago that you will use us as your agents of light and hope and restoration, that, that we will be able to push back the darkness and join you in kingdom work. So won't you use us, God? And then for that matter, after talking about prayer, Lord, my prayer for us as a church, as individuals, is that we would become people 
of prayer like never before. Won't you lead us there? We ask all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, next week, T.A., Timothy Atik, will be our preacher. You don't want to miss it. He's awesome. Go in peace. Have a great week. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, the Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Pastor Ken, who just brought us part three of Prayer Life, where we looked at learning to pray the Jesus way. Hi, Pastor Ken. Hello. Welcome to Postscript. Yeah. Hi, good to have you back with us today. And we looked at the Lord's Prayer as the pattern and also talked about how he teaches us two ways, as a pattern and to recite this prayer. Um, several, we have some questions that came around and then also some other talking points sure. around the Lord's Prayer. So I'm just going to jump right in and ask some of those. Um, and I like how you divided the prayer into the three, three. two to three and three mm -hmm. sections. And so let's start with talking about the kingdom. Yeah. Um, you sort of transitioned into talking about maybe God's kingdom and bringing sort of an election year um, politics, talk, politics yeah. into that. Can you tell us how well, having a kingdom mindset can help us sure. in an environment yeah. like yeah, this? Yeah, I didn't want to go there in the in the message, but I, I surely could have. I think a kingdom mindset can really liberate us um, because so many people put their hope in earthly governments, in earthly leaders, in earthly presidents, um, and no matter how good they are, and you have to define what good is, and everybody disagrees upon that, and yeah, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, and you know, which is God, and God's above it all. And, um, you're gonna be disappointed at some juncture. Why? Because they're not the king, the king of kings. They're just serving their country as best they think uh, possible, and that's gonna lead to disappointment. Mm -hmm. So does that mean don't vote? No, no, no. You should use all the influence that you can to do all the good that you can do in, in this life. But I think there's something very freeing when we uh, think back to what St. Augustine was talking about. Yeah, but there's two cities. There's two kingdoms. We're, as, as believers, yes, we're in the, the city of the kingdom of this world, but we're also residents of the city of God, mm -hmm. the 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 kingdom of God. And that's going to be the ultimate prevailing kingdom. And so let's live out as best we can in this fallen uh, kingdom, uh, you know, serving as I tried to say in the message as, as his construction crew to lay the foundation. And, but ultimately only Jesus brings the king, kingdom. Um, not you know, any of the candidates that are still remaining, not any of the candidates that aren't still remaining. Um, so I think it's freeing actually. It is, thinking that there's a bigger yeah. picture than yeah. that. Um, so when you think about daily bread, um, you often hear people say, and uh, many people say, well, I, I feel bad yeah. praying for my needs. There's a lot 
bigger. There's people who have other bigger needs. needs. Yeah, yeah. Sure. and isn't God maybe busier with those? Yeah, right. Yeah, I remember talking to a man some years ago who was saying that very matter-of-factly. Uh, I don't pray for myself, really. You never, no, I just, I wouldn't feel right about it. Well, why don't you feel right about that? Well, because there's all these problems out there and I need to, he's got bigger fish to fry and blah, blah, blah. And I was tempted to say to him, uh, well, then do you want to whisper your needs to me and I'll lift them up for you? Which I resisted the temptation to do. But I, I think here again, the Lord's Prayer is very freeing and inviting to all of us because he doesn't say if your life is generally uh, bad right now, you say, our Father who art in heaven, give us, you know, he, he doesn't say if you make this amount of money, but not that amount of money, you're eligible. If you're, if you're in this income bracket, you don't need to be praying. You got it made. He, he tells all of us, this is for you. You're my child, our Father. Who are him. And so I think here again, it's it's very exciting and very liberating to 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 realize he he wants to hear from all of us. Now, if what a person is feeling maybe is a little bit of uh, conviction about the fact that they have been blessed, that they have so much, that you know m maybe the action step f for you is not to cease from praying, but to roll up your sleeves and, and say, so God, what do you want me to do? You've given me so many blessings and I'm gonna keep praying that you'll give me more. I want you to use me as an agent of light and love and hope and, 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 and all for Christ. Maybe that's what the proper response would be if you're feeling sort of a, a, a guilt. I've got it good, I'm not gonna bother God. To, to, he said, but you're not a bother. I'm your father too. So maybe that can be helpful. Good. And so we talked a lot about forgiving others. Yeah. And this question came in. When you talk about forgiving others, you talked about brothers and sisters and forgiving them. Does that mean we should only forgive other Christians? Oh. Since the verse seems universal. Okay, the, yeah, then can I, you the, let's, clarify, yeah. Can you clarify that? No, right. I just meant men and women. Uh, and so, yeah, let's not get too literal about that. He, it, he's calling us to be agents of forgiveness mm -hmm. the same way that he was to us before we were Christians. Mm -hmm. um, we're called to forgive. Why does he call us to do that? Because until we forgive, we're the ones in bondage. And that's the, the delusional thing about it all. We convince ourselves, if I let him off the hook, then he would go free. No, if you let him off the hook, if you forgave, you would be free. You're the one who's dragging the ball and chain around your legs mm -hmm. uh, because you won't uh, release. Regardless of if he's a Christian or not, the, the ground is level. We're all sinners. Mm -hmm. Some of us sinners know Christ and we're Christian sinners and saved sinners and others aren't, but we're all saved, uh, we're all sinners. And those of us who are saved, we know that we're saved by grace. And that's why he says, now that you know what I've forgiven you of, I want you to do that, regardless of whether they're Christian or not. Okay, that's yeah. good. And so another note about this, yeah. is this prayer for everyone? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think we have to go with a no on that. Um, why would I say no? Well, because we start by saying our father. And I think people uh, today in this pluralistic PC world, many times um, you'll hear people say, well, we're all children of God. And in a way of speaking, that is absolutely true. If you you know, are born and you're alive and you have a pulse, you were created by God. You are, in that regard, a, a child of God. We're all children of God by creation. But why did Christ come into the world uh, and offer himself as a sacrifice? So that we might become his children by recreation. So that we might not just be born, but that we might be born again, so that we might not just have a normal pulse, but so that our heart would beat quickly for the things of God. And so it's to this group he's saying, this is, uh, he's teaching his disciples here. And so the prior business that one would need to take care of, if one has not said, I want you to be my father in a salvific or a saving way, not just a creation sort of way, but I want you to become my father through Christ, the savior. Uh, the action step for you is not to start in on the Lord's prayer and the six segments and this or anything. The action step for you most immediately is give your heart and your life to Jesus and trust in Christ and become his child by recreation. Good, good points. And I just think as looking at it, as we have looked at all, all the pieces of prayer, while we pray, how we pray, it's just been such a good series on strengthening our prayer life. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you right back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.